1: Have you been wondering what Chicago Mayor Brandon Johnson has been up to these days? Yeah, us too. And we've got updates. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Former Mayor Lori Lightfoot made promises to increase taxes on high-end and luxury home sales to fund services for the city's unhoused people. But that plan never came to fruition. Now Mayor Johnson and his allies are taking steps to make that so-called mansion tax a reality. On top of that, the Johnson administration is juggling the upcoming budget, accusations against interim police superintendent Fred Waller, and working with local street vendors on licensing and safety. Yeah, there's a lot to get to. So we checked in with some of our WBEZ colleagues to get the latest. Up first, government and politics reporters Tessa Weinberg and Mariah Wolfel. And I started by asking Tessa what we know about domestic violence accusations against Chicago's interim superintendent.
2: Yeah, so our colleague Dan Miyalopoulos, you know, broke the news last night that Fred Waller um, was accused of domestic violence by his then-wife in 1994. He had records requested summaries from all the internal investigations into Waller, started to get some of those back. And among those records were the allegations. Um, You know, she had initially, according to these reports, told investigators she had been struck about the face, pushed to the floor, and had alleged, you know, prior physical mistreatment. Um, Waller denied those accusations in those reports, saying they had both suffered, you know, minor injuries and disputes. And ultimately, according to, you know, Dan's reporting, she stopped cooperating with the Eternal Probe, according to these records, um, and that the branch that was investigating it determined that, you know, her complaint was deemed not sustained, which just meant that there wasn't enough evidence either way to mm-hmm. prove um, or disprove the allegations. So there was no, you know, finding or, of guilt or innocence really on the part of anyone involved. Mm.
1: This is pretty huge though. I'm curious what you both think this means for the Johnson administration? You first, Tessa.
2: Yeah, well, you know, so Waller was the focus of also a a past complaint that the Sun-Times had you know, previously reported on that resulted in a rare 28-day suspension about comments he had made. Um, So this is kind of another mark on his record and, you know, when Johnson even announced Waller as his pick for the interim superintendent, our colleague Chip Mitchell had pressed Johnson about Waller's connections to um, a corrupt sergeant whose tactical team was under investigation for more than a decade. And Johnson at that press conference at the time, you know, expressed his confidence in Waller and said that Waller is the best person to serve as interim superintendent. So I think this is just another, you know, mark that Johnson's going to have to reckon with. But at the same time, you know, he is picking from three finalists to be the next superintendent. Waller is not among those. So, you know, we will only maybe have him, you know, in this role for a limited period of time. That's right. It may soon blow over, I guess,
1: technically. What are your thoughts, Mariah?
3: Yeah, I agree with that. And I think, you know, he does have that to stand behind. Fred Waller has said repeatedly, you know, he's not pursuing this job full time. And so he's not someone who's going to lead the department, but he is leading the department through one of uh, the most crucial times for violence in the city. Historically, we see spikes in violence during the summer months. So it is a really crucial time um, to have a strong, trusted, you know, leader in the department. And so That's obviously not great. And and I also think this maybe speaks to Johnson's judgment as he embarks on filling many, many positions in city government. And that's something he's going to have to answer for, you know, is how thorough are his background checks on his candidates? And and how is he weighing previous, you know, marks on people's records, um, when he's choosing some of these really important positions that will start to be filled in the coming months. Yeah, I
1: mean, you would think that 58 probes into Waller's conduct, that those would be red flags for the Johnson team, no?
3: Yeah, so Dan had requested, you know, summaries for all of those cases, has only has not gotten every single one of those back. The department provided some, um, in nearly every case records show the internal investigations concluded, um, without a finding of wrongdoing against Waller, um, except for that one that Tessa mentioned that resulted in a 28 day suspension, um, where Waller made some inappropriate comments referencing sexual assault in a meeting. Um, and so, You know, you'd think that those would be some things things that Johnson weighed and he did get criticism um, from people when, you know, kind of asked about that and the allegation and the stuff that Chip asked about as well um but nonetheless you know this is this is one someone who Johnson says is a respected veteran among rank and file police officers and one that's going to be in the position temporarily um but still again i think it's something yeah. that Reporters will be watching, too, as, as more hires are made under the Johnson administration.
1: Well, let's, let's shift then to, to Bring Chicago Home. City council members, they discussed it on Thursday. Former Mayor Lori Lightfoot, as I mentioned, had blocked a similar hearing from happening a few months back. So just remind us of the details of this Bring Chicago Home initiative and what exactly it aims to accomplish, Mariah.
3: Sure, so bring Chicago home is a long standing push by. Advocates to increase the um, a, a one-time tax on properties over a million dollars and use that money to fund homeless prevention. And so that could be wraparound services, that could be funding for affordable housing. Um, really, to just have a dedicated revenue stream to homeless prevention, which the city does not have currently. It relies on a lot of grant funding and and what it can scrape together each year. Um, and you know department. Funding, but they advocates want a, a sustained, you know, stream of funding, and so they've called this "Bring Chicago Home." There are multiple ways to pursue this. There is not an exact proposal on this yet, because, like you said, even just the preliminary steps of having a hearing, just a subject matter hearing on this, has been a battle um, mm. under the former mayor. Um, but you know, as you said, we did get
1: that initial step this week yeah. or last week. Well, tell us more about what happened in that hearing last week, Tessa.
2: Yeah, so we saw, you know, this was really, I think, a moment for supporters of the campaign and advocates to finally have a, a chance to kind of voice their say and their peace and the need. You know, we heard from people who are currently experiencing homelessness, people who have in the past talking about you know why it's so necessary to have you know some kind of form of dedicated funding from the city to help tackle this issue. Mm-hmm. Um, we heard from alderpersons who have long been advocating for this, of you know seeing that this is finally the moment where they see the political will to make this happen. Um, you know they they talked about it's not a matter of um, if this happens anymore, but when. Pointing to the fact that this was a major campaign promise that Mayor Brandon Johnson campaigned on on the campaign trail for his um, run for mayor, yeah. and he's affirmed that commitment at the hearing. We heard from. Um, different city agencies, um, like the Family Support Services Agency, housing, and members of Brandon Johnson's administration were also present, which I think speaks to his. Yeah, so then what do
1: do we need then? What will it take then for this additional tax to go into effect? Because it sounds like everything's lining
2: up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so last week's hearing was just a subject matter hearing, so they didn't actually have legislation they're voting on yet. And that was a big point, I think, of discussion of the city saying, you know, that they're, you know, working on determining what exactly is that tax increase going to look like. The uh, housing commissioner signaled maybe there would be, you know, exceptions for affordable housing, or maybe it would be a smaller tax increase, and the new tax rate would only apply to, you know, the the money from the sale that's above one million dollars so and not the whole sale. Um, so some of those specifics still need to be figured out. And then persons are really looking to they have to pass legislation, and then that would get this, um, you know, this resolution onto the ballot, and it would be up to voters to decide potentially the next year of whether they want to authorize this tax increase or they could go through the route with the state legislature, which would be kind of its own process. So it seems like, though, mm. they're really looking to try to get this on the ballot and have a, a vote of the people next year.
1: Well, I have you. Speaking of City Hall, Mariah, I know budget season's also fast approaching and this will be Mayor Johnson's first budget. So, I mean, what do we know so far about his priorities, would you say?
3: Um. Sure. Yeah. So, uh, Uh, you know, a mayor's first budget says a lot about what dollars they're going to put behind their priorities. We know that um, standing up a Department of Environment is a big priority for Mayor Brandon Johnson. Also, uh, pursuing treatment, not trauma, which is part of that is reopening the city's shuttered mental health clinics. There's a lot of things we're going to be looking out for in this first budget because it speaks to um a mayor's values better than anything else can you know like what what dollars are you going to be able to put behind your priorities that you've talked about for a long time another major thing that we'll be looking out for in the next month or so as the budget process starts to, to starts to um start in earnest is uh whether mayor johnson is going to be able to pursue some of those priorities mm-hmm. without Raising property taxes, as he promised so, you know, vehemently on the campaign trail. But, you know, many experts told us at the time, the reality, once he gets into office is going to be that you need to raise revenue somehow. And a lot of his ideas for raising revenue um, are much more... Uh, long term, you know, they're going to require buy-in from Springfield. They're going to require lobbying and coop collaboration with city and state lawmakers. And so, in this first term specifically, um, I think it's not out of the question that he he may have to rely on a property tax increase. And how he pitches that to residents who voted for him um, on the premise that he wasn't going to increase property taxes will be something we're looking out for if he does pursue that route.
1: This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We have been talking with WBEZ politics reporters Mariah Wolfel and Tessa Weinberg. Thank you both so much. Thank you. Thank you. All right, we'll turn now to WBEZ's Esther yoon Kang to discuss another story relating to the Johnson administration. Hey, Esther. Hi, Sasha. You've been talking to street vendors. This is about some of the challenges that they're facing as they're trying to run these small businesses. You know, some of them are selling corn, shaved ice, tamales and other items around the city. So, Give us their biggest concerns.
4: Yeah, well, street vendors have faced these concerns for many, many years. And um, one of them is get struggling to, to get licenses to be official street vendors with the city. So a lot of them carry a lot of fear of being fined, for example. And you have to remember, these are very, very small business owners. And many of them um, have been unable to get jobs at factories or mm-hmm. other places. Some of them might be undocumented. And they don't necessarily have the resources or know how to get licensed. Most uh, more recently, they've also faced the pandemic and inflation, and they just were not able to get the help um, from the pandemic relief funds from the government. And on top of that, Sasha, um, this past winter, there was a rash of of robberies of street vendors, particularly in the very early morning hours and some evening hours as well. So that's been on their minds as well. I'd
1: love to hear more about some of the folks that you talked with, or, and, and what the, the day-to-day is like for them, g- given a lot of what you just mentioned?
4: Yeah, so they're selling small things, right? Like elotes, tamales, uh, shaved ice. Um, and some people peddle stuff like socks or clothes, and others sell I- ice cream, paletas. They're just really kind of barely surviving, barely paying their bills. Um, And last year in the dead of winter, when inflation was particularly high, one street vendor said that he might... Take home eighty dollars a day after you know all the costs, mm. and that's a good day. Yeah. And last week I spoke to someone else who said that you know he's he's in the heat all day, um, just to get uh, just to risk getting robbed for maybe twenty thirty bucks that he might have at the at, in his pocket at the end of the day. They say they pay their taxes. They don't have many options for employment. Um, and you know the other thing I should mention is that these folks are just really a part of the fabric of these neighborhoods. And I spoke to customers, too. Like people come from all over uh, the region to to taste and to buy from these street vendors. So it's not just about businesses. It's about like an entire uh, culture.
1: How does licensing work for them now? And what kind of changes do they want to see now that Mayor Johnson's the one in charge?
4: So the licensing requirements come in large part from the city's um, Department of Public Health. That's the agency that oversees like food sanitation regulation and inspections. So right now to get licensed, uh, there's a fee of $100 that's good for a two-year term. And there are a bunch of requirements, right? So you have to sell pre-packaged items that have been prepared in a commercial kitchen. And vendors kind of say that that defeats the point, right? Like of elotes, like you want to be able to cut up the corn and dress it with like cheese and chili and other stuff while the customers they're watching and customers also say they don't want something that's pre-packaged they want it to be able to customize so um, the city also requires refrigeration and other like heating equipment that's approved by the department of health which might be cost prohibitive for many vendors yeah. um, and there's just a lot of other like paperwork and, and requirements and so Many vendors have said that they just cannot provide all of that.
1: So sum it up for us. What's the city saying right now at this point?
4: The city's Department of Business Affairs and Consumer Protection, um, which oversees businesses, says, you know, the sanitation requirements are the sanitation requirements. And they come from the uh, Department of Public Health. So those are the rules. The the. The Business Affairs and Commun- uh, Consumer Protection Department also says that they've done you know, outreach about licensing. They've created flyers in Spanish and, and have worked with a lot of business groups um, in the area to get the word out about licensing. So they're just saying that, you know, mm, okay. the, the rules are the rules and they're, they've done their best to do the outreach.
1: That was WBEZ's Esther yoon G. Kang. Thank you so much, Esther. Sure, Sasha. This conversation was produced by Michael Liptrot and edited by Daniel Tucker and Ethan Schwab. Stay up to date with the latest news and happenings around Chicago by subscribing to our podcast. We drop new episodes fresh every weekday and Saturday. Take us wherever you go and we'll keep you in the loop. That's it for this episode. I'm your host, Sasha Ann Simons. We will meet again this afternoon.